0: Uh, today's message is going to be a little bit politically controversial, and, uh, and I want you to know m- my intentions aren't t- to even uh, try to broach it, this subject, that way. I-, I don't really care so much about how it enters into political or or not. I, just, I really want to be just biblical, honest, and truthful, and-, and knowing that today, though, is a sensitive subject, I also want to be loving and gracious as to how we interact with this topic, because Uh, The topic of today in dealing with the sanctity of life starts really at the root of worldview. And in our culture today, we have uh, various pressing worldviews that, depending on where you begin in this, uh, addresses how you end up in your answers to some of the results of the sanctity of life. And I I find without a biblical worldview, some of those things become very contradictory. And I'll I'll identify some of those uh, for us. Um, but, nonetheless, I, I want to start with, with an alternative worldview to Christianity, and I want to bring up one of the heavy hitters for us as we dive into today, and that is uh, a man by the name of Richard Dawkins, one of the famous atheists in the world. Uh, he, he wrote this quote out in his book, River Out of Eden, and um, it's, it's an expression of a Dar- Darwinian view of life, and he says this, the universe that we observe... Has precisely the properties we should expect if there is, at bottom, no design, no purpose, no evil, no good, nothing but pitiless indifference. In this topic, he's representing his atheistic worldview, and he's particularly addressing the idea of suffering. But in his concluding of this thought, he really comes down to the idea that when it, in regards to life, uh, it's really just pitiless indifference, that there's really, there's no purpose to it at all. And, and though I don't hold this view that Richard Dawkins carries, that uh, seeing no divine design in anything, I appreciate the honesty he shows with his worldview, because I, I find that it's accurate. In fact, if I held his worldview, I would hold to this statement. And, and the reason is, if, if you hold no ultimate purpose to life, no ultimate design or creating life, you really have two, two choices. Either answer impossible questions related to ultimate purpose of life, like, why are we worth anything? Where did we come from? Where are we going? Like, what is the meaning of life? Um, you can't give any ultimate definition to that because there's no ultimate reason for which things come into existence. Or you can take Richard Dawkins' worldview, which all human life is pitiless indifference, or all of life is pitiless indifference. It's meaningless. Now, while I say I would most likely hold to his worldview, I I would also acknowledge that I couldn't live that way. I would go out and demand that my life carry worth and value. In fact, everything that I did would suggest it. To The morality I hold, the values I carry, the pursuits in which I live my life, You know, if you hold the worldview that, um, you know, there's no purpose to life and uh, you really, I don't find, can live consistently with it because life just randomly happens and you can't live today as if uh, today would be consistent with tomorrow. I mean, it's just random, right? And so you come with questions like, uh, if we have no ultimate purpose from where, where do we get our value? And as human beings, are we more valuable than anything else? I mean, what about, if I were to hold this up this morning, just the idea of a rock. What about a rock? This rock just happened to exist the way that I existed. We just sort of evolved in different ways. Do I have more value than a rock? And why do I even consider the question of value important if we came from nothing to begin with? Where does the idea of even needing a value system derive from? If I were to punch this rock, would you care? Not really. You might think I'm crazy, right? But what if I were to walk off the stage and punch the person next to you? (laughs) Would you care? That's a different story, right? I mean, without even having to argue the need for intrinsic value within human beings, like, you don't care, you might think I'm nuts, but you don't care about me punching a rock, but if I were to come down and punch a person, we're gonna have some words, right? Please stop me if I were to ever do something like that. But But the reason is because we recognize that there is dignity, worth, and value in a human being, and when I go to destroy that image, there's something that rises up within us that just desires for that to end. So while... You may look at a view that life being described as pitiless indifference, you have to hold that view without a divine design because everything comes just randomly into existence. There is no moral ought that you can hold all of humanity to because there's no moral ought giver for which life should matter and to to give us meaning, worth, value, and how we should live. But we won't live that way. I think that that thought um, of, of this idea of Pitiless indifference is, and the need to hold that worldview without a creator is the reason that uh, Norm Geisler and Frank Turek they got together and wrote a book called "I Don't Have Enough Faith to Be an Atheist," because they realized that in life, without even being told, we recognize right from wrong, and where does that come from? We hold value in the identity of who we are, and where does that come from? And so, rather than describe life as pitiless indifference. I believe that life is precious and we should understand our our worth and purpose. Every culture, every culture has to address uh, the the basics of life, the purpose, meaning, and, and value of life. And every culture has to struggle with it. And within that culture, every individual has to confront those ideas. To wrestle with the, the thought of who you are. And I, I believe uh, that's the very reason that, that God wrote the book of Genesis. God wanted the Jews to understand him and their identity, their worth, and their purpose and their value. If you understand the, the what led to the writing of the book of Genesis, Genesis written by Moses, that Moses leads the children of Israel out of Egypt in which they had been slaves. Living a life of slavery, you can imagine the the kind of questions that you might ask in regards to your worth. Who am I? Where do we come from? Where are we going? Why am I worth anything? I've been treated like dirt, right? You know, being a a pastor for several years now... um, I've been a pastor long enough to know people tend to not think often the best themselves. Like It's rare. You do run into those people every once in a while that think they're just God's gift of creation, but most people don't think that way. (laughs) And I think it's even more true. I know in life, you kind of get to that awkward teenage days where you don't know what to do with yourself. And you get to your twenties and you're invincible. But the older you live your life, the the more you begin to realize, man, you're really not that impressive, right? Like, like you, you start to learn all the things you really don't know, right? And, uh, and so we tend to not think that, that highly of ourselves. But Genesis chapter one is really that, that chapter where we see the goodness and grace of God. God creating for a purpose and a reason, defining the identity of these Hebrew slaves coming out of Egypt to see themselves and the worth and and value and meaning and purpose which God had designed them so they could live life to the fullest. Right, and so when you turn to Genesis chapter 1, most of you are probably familiar with this passage. It's, it's in the beginning, God. It doesn't just, it just assumes the existence of God, but it says in the beginning, God, and he, and he creates, right? God creates everything. He speaks and, and life begins. And what it's showing us is this, this creator uh, designing things for intentional purpose, not randomly existing but God has an idea in mind, the pursuit for the things of which He has cre- created. And then in verse 26, He gets to your identity. He says this In the Godhead, He says, Let us make mankind in our image, in our likeness, so that they may rule. So God created mankind in his own image. In the image of God, he created them male and female. He created them. So God saw all that he had made and it was very good. And there was evening and there was morning the sixth day. If you read the section of this passage, what it's saying to us is, one, everything God creates is important, right? Everything God makes is important. All of life is important. And as it's describing and demonstrating the beauty of life, the last thing God creates, the crown of his creation. Is mankind and, and when God creates mankind he creates them to, to to reflect creator God in in creation by caring for the things for which God has created but God designs us in his image and the beauty of who we are reflecting his goodness in this world the crown of his creation on the sixth day we know what happens after this right God rests The very last thing that God makes, it tells us at the end of this that God says it was very good at the end of this chapter. And God rests. And as if to help us understand exactly what this creation means, when God makes us in his image, it doesn't mean he makes us in his image in every way. But he does make us in a way that's unique from any other thing he created. While animals are wonderful things, there's something special that God does uniquely in humanity, different than all other creatures. What is it? It's his image. In verse 20, uh, chapter 2 of verse 7, it starts to share with us exactly how that looks. It says this, Then the Lord God formed a man from the dust of the ground. And what it's saying about us is, look, being made in God's image doesn't mean that God has a physical body and therefore God gives you a physical body, but rather you came from the dirt. (laughs) So God created you from the dirt, but here's here's how special it is. When when God made everything in Genesis, he speaks, life begins. But when God creates mankind, he doesn't just speak, he forms. This shows intimacy with creator God, right? Right? He takes time to shape and to mold for a particular purpose. And then it goes on from the ground. And then he breathed into his nostrils the breath of life and and man became a living being. This idea of breathing into the nostrils of, of mankind, in the Hebrew, the imagery is literally face to face. That God is so close to you, nose to nose, mouth to mouth, and breathes life into you. This means you now are created to connect to your creator. The worth and value of who you are. And could you imagine being a slave and all the things that have been told to you about life and your lot in life. If they believed in a God and all, the belief that would have been stretched to them is, look, yeah, there is a God and yeah, you were created, but look, God doesn't like you. That's why he made you a slave. But now in this story, what we find through, through both male and female is that every person created with intentional design by Creator God for the purpose of being intimate with Him and to know Him and to enjoy Him for all of eternity, everyone, equal value, worth, meaning, purpose found in God, not beneath Him, not beneath each other, I should say, but rather equal to one another. Every culture and generation will address the significance and purpose of of human life and struggle to uphold it. Every culture has it. Every individual. And we started with the worldview that expressed one way, and it will lead down a a particular path and how you live that out. And here you see in the the Bible as it relates to the identity of who we are. And, And even today, our culture will wrestle with what makes life important. In fact, one of the passages I I think is significant as it relates to holding this view in Scripture is is Romans chapter 12. Um, If I were to back up in that chapter and just read the the last verse of chapter 11, I think this is very important because this is the springboard verse into why verse 12 is is so significant. And by the way, these verses that I'm reading to you this morning, these are popular verses uh, when you study Scripture that most people are familiar with, but I think important for us and reminder to our identity. But Romans eleven six says this, for from him and through him, talking about God, and to him are all things. Meaning when you think about the worth of anything in this world, all of it has purpose and value and meaning because its derivative is in the identity of who God is. God, when he created, he not only gave life, what this verse is saying is that he is life. That's why anything in this world uh, can even hope to sustain because of the identity of who God is. And so the author says in this verse then, it's Paul, to him be the glory forever, amen. And so it's showing the identity of our worldview where we get... Everything that we understand in this life is found in God. This becomes the springboard for us. And then understanding that, then he says in Romans chapter 12, Therefore, I urge you, brother, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies a a living and holy sacrifice acceptable to God, which is your spiritual service of worship. And then he shows what's going to conflict with this. Be not conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind so that you may prove what the will of God is, that which is good and acceptable and perfect. Can I tell you, um, when God created you, God didn't create you because he needed anything. And this is what this verse is saying to us in verse 36, is that God is sufficient within himself. God didn't create you because he was sitting in, in heaven thinking, you know, I just have this emptiness inside. I need to be loved, right? And so I wanna just throw these people out and they're just gonna tell me how amazing I am, right? That would be an inadequate God. God is not designed that way, but rather God is good and God is love and God is creative. And in the goodness of his creativity and the love that he desires to express, he gives himself away. And so God designed a creation for which he would give himself away and he allowed that creation and its freedom to reciprocate back to him being made in his image. He didn't design out of inadequacy. He designed out of love and the desire for you to experience that love and to love in return. And so he's saying in this passage, this, this all comes from him. This is where our worldview is shaped. And understand this in verse 2, that there will be contrary worldviews to the identity that God desires to put on you. The identity that God has already placed on you. As you walk life, don't be conformed to this world. Because what this world will do is try to conform you into an image that contradicts the worldview of God. Our bend as human beings, is to run in the opposite direction of God and diminish the image of humanity. I mean, I saw it last night at home over a banana. <laughs> I've got a five and eight-year-old and you thought World War II broke out again over a banana, right? It's like, uh, uh, like you would have thought we told our kids, look, uh, you know, mom and, mom and dad, we were discussing. We decided five and eight years old, you guys are good. Pack your bags, you need to go. I mean, the screaming and battle that <laughs> ensued in our house over a banana, <laughs> the depravity of humanity was made known. And I know I'm not alone. Don't make me feel like that. <laughs> I know you've got kids. <laughs> so you know what I'm talking about. But, but the bend of humanity and even the way we interact with each other, is to diminish the value of who we are. But you know, the Bible consistently emphasizes for us when we honor life, truthfully, it's worship before God. How you treat people in this world, in your mind, should be considered an act of worship before God. Because everyone created is an image bearer of God made in his image, right? That's what it means. Imago day. Every created being is made in the image of God. And so how you treat that soul is worship before the Lord. I mean, that should start in your marriage, the way you interact with your children, and the stranger on the street that you have nothing to gain from. And get this, even your enemies so if you ask the question, where does a human being receive his worth? Apart from God, if there is no God, apart from God, how do you determine the worth of a human being? If it's not intrinsically based on who they are, then what are you left with? Your worth is based on what you do. What about those that don't have the ability to do? Does that make them worthless? What about those that know what to do, but don't do the right thing? Are they worthless? Not according to Scripture. Because their value isn't determined on their actions, but intrinsically given to them by their creator and who they are. That's why Scripture says repeatedly in multiple places, I don't just have to pull from this one verse, but Romans chapter 12, verse 14, bless those who persecute you, bless and do not curse. It's saying just because people are hurtful does not ever give you the right to be hateful because they're image bearers of God too. Jesus even said in Matthew 5, 44, pray for your enemy. Why? Because their worth isn't based on what they do. Their worth is based on who they are. And God cares about every soul and how you treat a soul is worship before God. Every life matters. And so not only does every individual or every culture, every generation have to wrestle with the significance of life, I think the church is called by God to help every culture and generation wrestle with the significance of God and human life because it has tremendous impact on the implications of where that society goes. The sanctity of life is sacred. Guys, and this is so gospel-centric to the the identity of the church that we don't need to be handing it over to anyone else in this world. When when you think about the, the significance of life, if anyone can identify it, it is God's people. And so we don't give it over, but rather we wrestle in our society for it. And the Bible is, is loaded with verses that speak directly and indirectly to the significance of life. I mean, Genesis 1 starts with that story of who we are in light of who God is. And then it tells to the Hebrew people how their story was shaped, starting with, uh, the, uh, goes into creation, but it dives quickly into to Abraham in chapter, into chapter 11, into 12, and, and then on into Moses. They can see how God's hand works in the brokenness of life. One of my favorite passages when it talks about the significance of life, um, uh, Jeremiah chapter 1 and verse 5, it says, Before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. And before you were born, I consecrated you. I have appointed you a prophet to the nations. Now, let me tell you something theologically important about this verse before I dive into the sanctity of life part. Um, this verse tells us that God knew Jeremiah. Jeremiah. This verse does not tell us that Jeremiah knew God. And that's a big difference. But what this verse is saying is that God knew Jeremiah. Meaning, when life comes into existence, we might be shocked by it, but God's not. God already knew. Because God is sovereign, God is all-knowing, he knows the number of your days. He knows right where you're at. There's nothing that you can hide from him. God knows. God's not surprised by your beginning. And the reason this is so important, I think, especially in the beginning of the book of Jeremiah, is if you know Jeremiah at all, the prophet, he was referred to as the weeping prophet. Jeremiah had a difficult ministry. And in this same chapter, God says to him, look, people are going to come up against you, but I'm not gonna allow them to be victorious. And so Jeremiah starts his book off with this statement because I think in Jeremiah's life, this was the place that he found identity in who he was and the reason he was able to live his life for God, though there were obstacles before him. He knew even before he lived that God's God's hand was for him because God had told him, Jeremiah, your existence is an accident. It doesn't come by a surprise, but but it's intentional. And I think about my own life in this, or at least my mother. Um, my mom walked a difficult road just to have me. My mom gave birth to me when she was 16 years old, which is not an easy path. Went on to get her bachelor's degree, master's degree, work as a nurse. Not easy. But was God shocked? And she might be shocked when I show up, right? Right? Was God shocked? No. Things in life may get difficult. Things in life may be messy. But regardless of how difficult the circumstance, God's not surprised. It may be our mess, but it's in his hand. That's what Jeremiah 1.5 is saying. Jeremiah, you look at the world around you. It may be difficult. There may be a hard road to walk. It may be, but look, I am so in this and I am so with you. Even before you existed, I knew. I knew the number of your days. I knew what you were going to walk through. I knew and I called you. And the same thing's true for all of us. In fact, um, Probably the psalm that would speak to this the most, most for is Psalm 139. I remember when I first became a Christian, I found this psalm. I remember just reading it over and over. I couldn't believe just the words expressed in this chapter as it relates to, to the significance of life. And some of these verses, just listen to this. For you formed me in my inward parts, you wove me in my mother's womb. I will give thanks to you, for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Imago de God's image on me. Uh, Wonderful are your works, and my soul knows it very well. See, our soul knows that when you punch a rock, no one cares. But if you punch a human being, there's worth there. You're diminishing the value. How precious also are your thoughts to me, O God. How vast is the sum of them. If I should count them, they would outnumber the sand. Life has value. Yet despite these reminders, culture always battles. Culture always wrestles. Culture has a bend in the conforming to the things of this world to take away and rip from that image In fact, in in Israel's history, God told them not to embrace the the false worship of the Canaanite gods of Baal and and Molech, and Israel did. And in the same book of Jeremiah, it says this in chapter 19, and of Judah specifically, they have built the high places of Baal to burn their sons in the fire as burnt offerings to Baal. What are they doing? Diminishing the image of God. In the life of a human being. In Israel's day, individuals would have these false gods. They would build these statues or shrines dedicated to them. And this particular one, they would heat it up, and the arms would become burning hot, and they would place an infant in the arms. You can actually go back and read some of the historical statements of uh, different individuals that encountered this worship, not just with Israel, but in history. I thought about offering a quote for you this morning, but they're, they're so wicked and hard to read that I would just tell you they exist and you can find them if you want. But the diminishing of, of human life and how do they get there? Well, it starts in buying with a lie and the identity of who human beings are, but in israel 's day they believed that these gods would be appeased and provide for them the resources they needed to live right so you think in israel 's day you didn 't have a refrigerator if you wanted to survive, you were dependent on that day to supply for you the need right and, and what or what you needed and so When when there was a drought or there was ever any adversity or they're hoping for a good harvest, they wanted to make the gods happy. They believed that this God was one of the gods they wanted to appease and this God needed sacrifice of life, innocent blood in order to, to provide those things for people. And so they would offer it. Some of the stories are, are horrible where you have wealthy individuals that didn't really want to sacrifice their kids. So they would go to families of more, more poor families and they would offer to those families money in order to buy their kids so they could just sacrifice those children rather than their own. And there's accounts of all kinds of just gross things. Even, even historically archaeologists digging up graves where thousands of children had been sacrificed. Many of them placed in these urns, on the outside of these urns, after their bodies would burn, are dedicated statements to the false gods in which they worship to offer that life. You can look one of those places up, I think had 20,000 children in the town of Carthage, and that wasn't the only funeral, or the only cemetery they found with the remains of kids that had been burned. This is one town. The diminishing of life you know, when you think about Israel, guys, you can look at that and think how wicked, how horrible, um, how difficult. But you think in their worldview, they don't want God to be mad so that they can have their needs met in order to find the pleasures of life. They give over human life. And to be honest, I don't think we're that different. I think maybe in our society today, we may have sanitized some of the things that we do. But we struggle to properly value life too. And one of the ways that we know that or identify that is January, we've encouraged as the Sanctity of Life Month. January 20th is the Sanctity of Life Day where we just focus on promoting the value of life because lives matter. Sanctity of life Demonstrates or tells us one life matters and and to acknowledge it also says that God has made life sacred all life and I, I think when it comes to the to the church the the, the struggle that we work in society through is, is everyone that's marginalized and underappreciated in their, in their life. If, it, if it's women, if it's children, if it's orphans, if it's widows, if it's refugees, if it's, if it's the sick, if it's the poor, anyone down and out, anyone with any sort of special need that's underappreciated in life and the value of who they are is diminished, and, but the identity of God needs to be told over and over, even you. God made you sacred and important. You know, out of all those topics that we should address, one that I I don't want to move past too quickly this morning is even the idea of of the value of a life in the womb and the topic of abortion. You know, out of all the people that we could represent or talk about this morning in the sanctity of life, all of those are important. All of them are important the reason I think the highlighting of abortion is, is most important is because they're the most vulnerable. They're the voiceless. And, and it's the one in which you can give a, a, a voice to for us. And the reason I, I think that when I talk about Israel not being that much different than our society today is that when you study the topic of abortion, Um. This is a very emotional topic, a very difficult topic, but statistically, when, when you look at um, the statistics of those that partake of abortion today, just, it tells us that uh, one in five pregnancies, over one in five pregnancies in our country go that direction, that one-third of women will have experienced one, and that over 90% of the reason behind why abortions are are done are because of social needs meaning they don't really feel like they're at a place where they're ready for a child whether it be because they don't really think that they have enough money or the child um, there's relationship problems between the father and mother or someone's too young whatever it is there's social reasons over 90% of the abortions that take place is for that reason when you look at Israel in the old testament making sacrifices It was done for convenience. I want more food. I want to live an okay life. Therefore, I want to make God's happy. The only difference between the two is that our gods have changed. The argument for abortion, um, it's interesting if you study the defense between pro-life and pro-choice. The argument used to be in Roe v. Wade that whether or not it's a life, is it a human life inside of the womb? And technology has really made that outdated. Uh, today, no one will argue that. Uh, by, by the eight weeks in the life of a child in womb, um, you can detect heartbeat, all the organs working, brain waves, the baby recoils from pain. At, at eight weeks, a baby even starts sucking its thumb. It's not a question as to whether or not it's life. That's not even the argument that's made anymore. The, the argument that's made now is, is over women's rights and the worth of a dependent life. If a life is dependent, should it be, give the freedom to live or do we get to choose? And when it comes to women's rights, ladies, I, I, wanna, I want you to know that, you know, I love the fight for women's rights. I'm not like, women, please, dignity, worth, value. You're created in the image of God. That is important. But I, I think what we have to keep in mind is that when you talk about the idea of abortion, who's going to fight for the right of the women in the womb? Or when it comes to the idea of whether or not life, if it's dependent, is worth having or if it's worth less, what about people that have dependencies on medications or different types of uh, medical needs in life where they're relying on things? It doesn't make their value any, any less it's, it's kind of interesting in our society today, the things that we hold to as important and the things that we don't. I feel like sometimes we get we get our priorities just a little bit backwards. I mean, um, last summer, my family and I took a trip uh, to North Carolina on the beach. And and I didn't know this about this area, but apparently lots of sea turtles love this beach. And we happened to go when sea turtles decided that they wanted to make sea turtle babies. and um, But they hadn't hatched yet. And when you went to the sand dunes, they created these massive sand dunes for the sea turtles in order to have their eggs. But if you were to walk over to those sand dunes, anywhere near those sand dunes, like a cop would tackle you to the ground and throw you in jail. And you'd be like, why are you messing with me being near sand dunes? And it's like, there's an egg and you've got to protect it. Like we care more about life. You know what would have happened to me if I, if I just went running down those sand dunes? I probably would have made national news Killing the sea turtles. Like, I love sea turtles. Don't get me, I've watched Nemo. They're cool, right? See, I have no problem with sea turtles. Why do we care so much about that egg? And so little about others. Maybe if I told you tomorrow, you would be in the womb. What would you think about that? Had a doctor say to me once, having a mother that had me at sixteen years old, um, "You're lucky to be alive, son." I'm like, you are. I'd never even thought about that. But he's right. How easy it would have been. How difficult of a decision that is to make. That was not easy. That's a hard road to walk. But before I was born. God knew me. In my mother's womb, he knitted me together. Fearfully and wonderfully made his thoughts towards me, the sand on the shore. I remember um, when Pioneer Crossing was being built. I read this article. You can go back and look at it. I read it again last night. May the 2nd, 3rd and 4th of 2009. They stopped construction on Pioneer Crossing. Couldn't build the road because there was a hawk. And the hawk may have had eggs in the tree. They don't even know. If you read that article on May 2nd, they're like, we're not sure. There could be eggs up there. But just in case, we stopped everything. And then by May 4th, they're like, they write another article. And we hired a conservationist. And now he watches the tree. And if the bird gets upset, we stop construction. Like Pioneer Crossing took longer to build because we had to watch a hawk. And God forbid the eggs. Life. It is all important. Um, let me let me run with this and get to the conclusion here. Um, I love this picture. This is taken by Michael Clancy of a of a young baby named Samuel Armus in 1999. There was a procedure done on this baby at 21 weeks. It was a revolutionary procedure. So they brought a photographer into the room to document it, and the baby. Um, At at 21 weeks, they perform the surgery, and as they're getting ready to close the womb, put the baby back in, uh, the baby reaches out and grabs the hand of the doctor. And Michael Clancy went in that room pro-choice. But when he saw the hand of the baby reaching for the hand of the doctor, he said that day he walked out appreciating the beauty and value of life. It was for life. You guys, all this to let me give you a conclusion. If you're here today and what I shared this morning doesn't represent your worldview, can I just say, even if there's a small possibility of what I shared today being correct, it should encourage you to hesitate on acting out any pro-choice. If God did design life and God cares about life, the reservation of that even being a possibility should be held within all of us regardless. If you've gone through the experience of abortion, I want you to know as a church, I mean, one third of women, we're not angry. God cares about your life. Nobody hates you. In fact, I would say as a church, we love you. Um, John three seventeen, Jesus says this: "I came not to condemn the world, but save the world." We love you. We care about you, and the reason we care about you is because your life your life is important. And when something like that happens to us, we carry guilt and shame and regret, but. But because life is important, I can tell you this morning what you need is grace, love, and forgiveness. A new hope. That's Jesus. He came not to condemn, but to give life. I love the story of a woman caught in adultery. Her sin exposed. They bring her before Jesus. They have stones in hand ready to kill her. And Jesus says, let he who has not sin cast the first stone. And all the people one by one start to walk away. It tells us oldest to youngest start to walk away. I can tell you why oldest to youngest is because the longer you live, the more you realize you screw up, right? They all walk away, and Jesus says, "Where are your accusers? Then neither do I accuse you. Go and sin no more. We all need the grace of God because your life is important in church. can I tell you if, For years, we've gotten this wrong. Some of the most hateful, venomous statements come from God's people. But can I tell you this? At Alpine Bible Church, I don't care what other people do, but let me say this at Alpine Bible Church. If you say you love God and you hate someone else, I do not believe it. If you say you love God and hate someone else, I, I, you, you can tell me all day long you love God, but if you hate someone else, I do not believe it. You do not love God. Because scripture is very very plain in telling us this. In 1 John 4, 20, if someone says, I love God and hates his brother, he is a liar. For the one who does not love his brother whom he has seen cannot love God whom he has not seen. Why? Because we understand one of the primary principles of life is that you're created in the image of God and the way you treat people is worship for your creator guys we're called to love so let me give you a response of how to do this this morning you don't change the world by finding a perfect place you're called to change the world by walking in a broken place God calls you to be light. And so this morning, if you just feel led to do something about life and honoring life, in the back as you leave today, on the back table and by the door as you leave, there are some baby bottles there. And if you would like, we'd invite you to take a baby bottle home. And the goal is with your family or even by yourself to just express the value of life and to show before your family the importance of life by giving change into this bottle in order to change the world. We're gonna collect those bottles in two weeks, January 29th, you can bring them back to the church and we're gonna donate them to organizations that are about preserving life and communicating the significance of life. Like the decision my mom made wasn't easy, but if we're gonna be a church that says life is important, we also need to be there to support people that choose life. And as a church family, in order to give towards that, um, we've given you an opportunity to, to, to donate. When we talk about making a difference in life, can I tell you it doesn't happen without sacrifice, God. God, every every life is important, starting with yours as we live it out for him. Let me close in word of prayer. This message has been brought to you by Alpine Bible Church in Lehigh, Utah. If you'd like more information, please visit us online at alpinebible.com.